Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate in 2003 nike signed 13 year old freddie adu to a seven-figure contract but freddie didn't live up to the hype he is turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I'm Pat Nevin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Uh, That is right. This is one of our special Chelsea youth updates. So as always, your host, Brandon, joined by Nick and Dan. And that's right. We've got at Chelsea youth, uh, which is a friendly, friendlier name, Phil. Uh, at the che- or I guess thechels.net is where he puts all his articles. At Chelsea Youth is where he is on social. Phil, welcome back. Thank you for having me back. Looking forward to it. And as as Dan likes to rip off other people's marketing, uh, we've been doing this thrilling since 2020. This Chelsea Youth collab, <laughs> and we are super excited. Remember, it's monthly. Uh, Phil's agreed to come on and share his endless wisdom about what's going on at Cobham with the Youth Academy. So today, we're going to talk about the Academy continues to dominate in more ways than one in the England national team setup as well. Uh, We'll also talk about the FA Youth Cup finishing, um, how that went, maybe some mixed results a little bit. We'll talk about the dev squad, as we always like to do, since they're in PL2. Um, and then obviously some of that, how are some of the first year scholars, the babies, how are they doing now that they've graduated and into the U18s and then, uh, maybe just maybe a couple low knees. I know, I know a bit of a wild card here at the end, but, uh, that's what we're going to be doing. So Dan, uh, I'm going to let you kick this one off over to you, sir. Well, you know, there's a, there's something called national football or national football at the moment. I don't know if you're aware. Boo. <laughs> Everyone, calm, calm all down. at once. Boo. Calm down, Nicholas. Am I allowed anyway, to like international football? I'm actually a No. <laughs> you, <laughs> absolutely. You know, it, it, you are allowed to like it. You're allowed to love it. But we wanted to bring it up because I think you had a really great message on social media this past week, Phil, heading into the international break, where you talked about the fact that 17 Chelsea Academy players have been called up by England seniors to the 18s this week, uh, for, with a further six former Academy members also called to leading the way as always. And I think maybe just starting to kind of kick it over to you with the framing of how much Chelsea DNA is there going to be in this Chelsea in in the England setup now and for the years to come based upon what's what's there today it's it's really fascinating to me uh, those numbers from the tweet actually grew when the under 17 squad was announced there were five more Chelsea players in that and I admit I, I forgot one other player who was in the under 18 so that's seven former academy players so once again so far this season Chelsea have had more players called up by England than any other club across the full spectrum of age groups and over the last five years 70 different academy products have represented England at one level or another which is is, is staggering for, for any any club um, Manchester City also do well but the influence that Chelsea have had you can see that Steve Holland is Gareth Southgate's assistant 
Joe Edwards spent some time working with the England youth age groups while he was doing Easy Way for Pro Licence. And the this has been England's most successful era for for generations. They obviously they won the under seventeen World Cup three years ago, they won the under twenty World Cup, they've won numerous tournaments and positioned themselves as favourites or contenders for every junior age competition they enter while the senior team reached the World Cup semi-finals the Nations League semi-finals and have been a, a constant in the top 10 in the world so a lot of that has been with Chelsea players coming through and starting to influence things naturally you'll have some sort of relationship that fosters a community and an understanding on the pitch so whether that's uh Mason Mount and Declan Rice playing in the same midfield now Rice obviously left Chelsea at 14 but those relationships and friendships stay around for a long time whether that's a, a Hudson Adoy and an Abraham or a Reese James and a centre-half partner those little relationships will always help to transition from club to international football but the quality needs to be there uh, first and foremost and we've seen this uh, this last month Reese James stepping up to international level and being terrific Mason Mount play being an integral part of Gareth Southgate's plans whether it's in a front three or deeper into midfield the quality that Chelsea are producing is so consistent that they're, they're going to be influencing the England setup for a long time and the more successful Chelsea are the more that's going to filter through to England so I'm selfish and biased and all of these things and obviously yes you are <laughs> look at this podcast D- does correct does chelsea get any like financial like benefit from england i know that the nations pay clubs when they take players to tournaments is that the same for the youth level i don't believe so i mean i um, guess that kind of makes sense but so, so it's yeah. just like a national badge of pride more or less it is and also Chelsea are one of the clubs that really have a strong relationship with the FA and while some clubs may be reluctant to allow their players to be called up for friendly squads or international camps Chelsea wherever possible will allow their players to go because they think that international representation and developing yourself away from Chelsea playing with the cream of the crop from other clubs and playing in international competition against high-end opponents of the same age group can only benefit your development. And we've seen that time and again over the years. The guys who are playing for England now have been challenged at every single level from under 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. And it's even more of a factor when you consider that England have the, the England DNA programme, which is essentially get the guys into St George's Park early make them feel familiar in their surroundings high quality footballers who come through play at all the age groups and so when they end up in the senior squad they don't feel out of place they feel comfortable they have the, they, they can shine and show their quality so someone like Jude Bellingham who's still only 17 uh, got a late call up to the England squad when James Ward-Prowse pulled out last week and there was a little bit of commotion of why is he being called up and why is James Madison not in the squad for example and that's partially to do with the fact that Bellingham tender as he is has, has represented England at three different age groups already and when you have more Chelsea players doing that than anyone else then it's it's a badge of honour for the academy so last thing and then we'll get into the dev squad is Phil I appreciate all that Chelsea's done for the England national team I just want to know how many American national team players has Chelsea produced. That's all I'm saying. Like, Ethan Wadey's there. I'm waiting on it. Like, you know. What, yeah, what, Phil. <laughs> how many have we produced? Uh, there, no, may be one, there may be one or two on the way. Hey, as long as we keep uh, Christian Pulisic healthy and uh, firing all cylinders, I think uh, Americans are going to be happy with what Chelsea Football Club is doing for our men's national team. And it's, it, is, it is interesting, though, because obviously someone like Yunus Moussa is just... Uh, made mm-hmm. his US international debut and while he's not necessarily ca- cap tied it was part of a, a squad that had maybe seven or eight dual Nats or players represent who could represent four or five different countries and sometimes that information doesn't necessarily filter through to the public or to the likes of uh, likes of me until players become more prominent at 15, 16, 17 so Musa was a known commodity coming through at Arsenal but it took until sort of he was 15 before somebody said oh yeah he was born in New York so he's got American eligibility hey and so while that doesn't necessarily correspond to the the depth at chelsea there, there could be hidden eligibility in any one of the age groups yeah no, boy I, does it, he look good I'm very happy about that new york birth that was a <laughs> tremendous deal for us sneaky international eligibility 
and there's another one at Arsenal as well. I think Fuller in Balogun is also eligible for the United States. Good thing, good thing we pay the most because that's what we need. <laughs> that's the only thing we got going for us. All right. Uh, well, I do appreciate that. Just in general, it's always good to kind of keep a, a pulse on the the bigger youth picture as well. Obviously, with a lot of international squads collecting right now, because this is an international break while we're recording, uh, appropriately so. All right. So obviously, we have more to talk about though. And it was appropriate to start the more Chelsea-centric chit-chat, Phil, with the FA Youth Cup and kind of how that went, obviously. Um, beat Man United in the semifinal, lost in the final to the other team from Manchester, known as City. Uh, and have since been drawn against Barnsley in round three of the 2020-21 edition. So a lot to unpack there. I will throw it over to you and uh, let you walk us through that. Yeah, so like everything else, last March, the FA Youth Cup was put on semi-permanent hiatus with the shutdown of all football. And while everything else came back in the summer, youth football didn't. So they tried to find a way to finish the 2019-20 edition of the Youth Cup, which was at the semi-final stage. And the competition changed last season during normal times from having two-legged semi-finals and a two-leg final to one-off matches. So they only had three to finish. They decided to move everything to St George's Park at a neutral location, sort of between Blackburn, Manchester and Chelsea, um, because Manchester United, Manchester City and Blackburn were the other semi-finalists. And you go from there, and inevitably it was another Chelsea versus Manchester City final, the fourth in six years. And this time City got the better of the proper blue and they did, they did it deservedly. Uh, it was it was a very tense final. I don't think either team really showed the quality that they were truly capable of. A little bit of tension, and it, there was a howling wind blowing around the pitch, which hardly helped. Um, Chelsea went ahead through Marcel Lewis. City fought back and took the lead. Then Lewis got a heavily deflected equaliser, and City won it in the last five minutes. And there's such fine margins in a one-off match that uh, had someone like Tino Andrin been considered fit enough to start, he could have been the deciding factor. He captained the team in the Friday semi-final, but played his first 90 minutes in six months after injuries and lockdown absences. And so when it came to Monday, Chelsea felt appropriate to manage his minutes. He came on at half-time in that match. And while the damage hadn't necessarily been done, Chelsea could have put their foot down and played with more authority in the first half had Andrew been at the heart of the midfield that's the way it goes sometimes City have a fantastic generation of players they clearly learned what they needed to do to get one over on Chelsea having lost the three consecutive finals in the middle of the decade and you can only congratulate them because they've, they've started to to put some of these players into the first team themselves it might only be in cup competitions but Cole Palmer he scored the winner a week after making his first team debut in the Champions League, Taylor Harwood Bellis has first team experience. There's a couple of others in there. Liam Delap scored in the League Cup this season. So Chelsea were playing against a real powerhouse team that they might not come up against in youth football again in terms of such quality. But mid December, the Youth Cup for this current season restarts. Third round draw against Barnsley, who Chelsea should beat fairly comfortably and a lot of the players who lost in the final against City are eligible for this year's campaign. So I think, you know, for me with everything that's kind of gone on with it and it's a start and stop and start and stop, especially at the youth levels because it's, what do they call it, non-elite football or non-essential football? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's confusing for everybody because the Chelsea's under-18s technically count as elite. So anyone who's playing below a certain level in England at senior level is classed as non-elite so this year's youth cup there are still five or six first round ties that are, can't be played until this lockdown is lifted because they're considered non-elite so there's going to be a backlog of ties throughout december and january for this year's competition yeah definitely not ideal not what we're, we're looking for i think especially with more congestion for for the young players but we're, we're gonna you know it's it's you can't asterisk it but it, there's context that goes into these seasons and everything like that and and obviously you know, just with the way everything's unfolded, it's 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 a unique situation that, you know, I bet Chelsea had this really great recipe for success. They had their periodized training schedule. You know, we do this and this week and we build into this and 
is shattered for everyone too, not just Chelsea. And so it's Absolutely. just and creating the, new new challenges. Yeah, and so had the Youth Cup finished on schedule last March and last April, Chelsea would have had Armando Broja leading the line and Ian Martin playing at left back. The fact that we've had to resume during the following season means both of those guys are now out on loan and we're going to talk about them later because they're doing really well. And yes, it's an opportunity for guys to come in and replace him. Dion Rankin played at left back, having not played in the Youth Cup run before that. Brian Fiabema, who had barely joined the club back in the early part of the year and was would have played second fiddle to Broja throughout the remainder of last year, last season, led the line this time and he's doing well himself. So while you can lament that some of Chelsea's more influential players weren't available for the Youth Cup finish, we can be proud that they've moved on and are making a, a sizable impact in professional football at the next step of their careers. Definitely a bit of recognition and a bit of positivity around the fact that we did not take it because it was a team in transition. But talking about that transition, one of the sides for Chelsea's academy setup that tends to rotate and change and shape itself so differently season to season is that dev squad, Phil. So we did talk about them before, you know, in our last episode. And at that point, they were four matches in the season. They had notched in three wins, only had a single loss. They were second in the table. And now they're on a bit of a different run for uh, this moment where they've uh, now played seven, they've won four, and they've lost three with 12 goals for a 10, <laughs> 10 against and two net goal difference on 12 points behind Derby and Liverpool at 16 and 15 points respectively. How do you think the recent run has gone for them, which included Everton beating us 2-0, Liverpool smashing us 3-1, and us eking out a win over Derby 3-2. Yeah, the the two consecutive defeats up on Merseyside have sort of changed how people are viewing the team right now, and not necessarily uh, correctly so. The Liverpool game was really weird. The, they had a five-minute meltdown and conceded from a corner, a penalty, and a free kick. And otherwise, they didn't really give up a whole lot, but you, you can't really you can't excuse the five minutes of mayhem where they did give up clear goal scoring opportunities they weren't from open play fine but they were silly mistakes that ended up costing them otherwise they were they were in that game and had decent chances and there was a similar story against Everton as well there was very close right up until half time and there were a couple of chances that on another day would have gone in or they would have been a little, a little bit more clinical with and a mistake here and there against someone like Everton who may be a mid-table fine but they've still got some quality players who are a little bit more experienced than a very young Chelsea team that has consistently lost players to loan moves right up until the late October transfer window and a little knock-on from all of those players going out on loan is that a couple of fringe first-team players that aren't involved with Lampard have started to play development squad minutes. So Danny Drinkwater played both of those games against Liverpool and Everton, and so did Baba Rahman. And while that might have elicited some reaction on social media as to whether they should be doing so or whether they should even be at Chelsea at all, both of them played pretty well in those matches. Drinkwater especially looked as he should for a player of his calibre and experience. Classic men amongst boys. Exactly. Literally. But he, he also assumed that role with the the professionalism you'd like to see from somebody stepping down. He's clearly, he trains with this group every day. He's gotten to know them and... Uh, doesn't consider himself above what he's doing at least when he's on the pitch we don't know what his actual opinion of it is and I'm sure he'd rather be playing Premier League football or top flight football somewhere else but he's brought qualities to the team and he's brought stability to the to a young midfield so someone like Lewis Bate playing alongside him is going to be learning a lot whatever we happen to think of Drinkwater and it's, it's through no fault of his or Baba Ramans or who anyone else that Chelsea have gone back-to-back defeats with them in the team. But it'll be interesting to see what happens between now and the transfer window as to how much more they get to play. Honestly, did not see us spending time talking about the double D on the Chelsea Youth <laughs> Update. But here is Drinkwater getting stuck in is, is how it goes. I think he's aged beyond the conversation we're allowed to have. I think there's a, a, a gay age threshold here that of player we're allowed to talk about on this episode, and Danny Drinkwater is over that bar. You've broken it. Obviously, yeah. Matt Law had that that in depth conversation with with Mr. Drinkwater and kind of his new look and approach to it, but we don't need to to spend time on that. Um, I guess just with kind of the the results we've seen recently too, um, I you know. 
looking at some of your past tweets as well as reference points, which is is always helpful, Phil, is uh, Chelsea 2, Brentford 1, a good workout for the dev squad. Uh, Charlie Brown, Tierno Ballo getting the goals. And then you talk about Sam LeCon, uh back after his injury. George Nunn. Starting to see more and more names as well. So if we look at the attack, um, a couple different players that you want to pull out, well, then we'll get in the midfield and then we'll get in the defense. But do we start with Balo and Fiabema? Yeah, we can do. Balo scored the winner in that friendly against Brentford, which was a really decent opportunity for a bunch of players who weren't away on internationals to get some minutes against a decent quality opposition. And they tried out a different system. Now, it's not a system that's new to anybody at the club. They moved, The development squad pretty strictly play a 4-2-3-1. They played the 3-4-3 in this match. Everybody's already played it at youth team level. They can just seamlessly drop into it. But it mean there was an opportunity for someone like George Nunn to play at left wing back, which is a completely new position for somebody who we know as a centre forward. And he acquitted himself well. And if you are looking at a, a switch of position to the mid to long term, these friendly minutes are invaluable to him. But Ballo scored the winner in that match. And he's a player who's interested me for a long time because he can play in a lot of positions to a real high quality. He played as a holding six in uh, a match recently. I uh, the, the specific details elude me. Um, you more often see him as a number nine or a wide forward in a front three. And stylistically, at least, there are... I, I see some comparisons to someone like Sadio Mane in that whatever he does doesn't look like it should work on a physical level, but it does, and he's got really good body control understands how he works and how he how he mechanically works and how he can take advantage of other people and off the ball especially he's a fantastic presser him and Marcel Lewis really know their angles they've got energy for days and they they lead from the front like nobody else so with somebody like Ballo in a squad like this you can plug him in on the right on the left as a number nine maybe a bit deeper in number eight in midfield six if you have to and he's an asset that you can move around in an attacking way similar to how Henry Lawrence can do anything in the defensive half of the pitch and it might be too soon in January to think of a loan for Ballo he might be ready for it but there's just a head count of how many players there are to actually use but he's someone to keep an eye on as is Fiabema who joined in January from Tromso in Norway having already played senior football up there took a little bit of time to, to settle in and then lockdown happened so he had a, a a long wait to really play meaningful football but already graduated from the under 18s into the under 23s he's, he's still only 17 but he scored against Liverpool and Arsenal and Manchester United already in the last two months big game player very good on either foot looks confident looks like he could handle himself there are some similarities in how he plays to Dominic Solanke when he was at Chelsea and the second half of the season is going to be really interesting from his point of view because he'll be leading the line for the development squad for the foreseeable, I think. So moving on to midfield, because I know that is kind of an area that's that's been a little bit of, of a point of interest this year. You have Lewis Bate and Tino Livermento, who um, by all accounts have been playing extraordinarily well. Uh, what what are your thoughts on both these players, Phil, and, and what might you see from them moving forward this year? Livermento has probably been the player of the season so far, mm -hmm. just because every single match he's in, he influences to such an incredible degree. He's a, a genuine force of nature down the right-hand side, and we've seen so many good right-sided players come through the academy in recent years. We've got Reese James, we've got Tarek Lamptey, we've got Dujon Sterling. And he does it in a similar way to Sterling in a way. He's very, very good, straight line speed. He'll go past you with strength. He'll go past you with skill, with guy or whatever. But he's equally comfortable coming inside and shifting the play from right to left and then being able to handle himself physically and technically in possession in the centre of the field. So it's not like you're sticking him to one side of the pitch and just asking him to go up and down like a train. Uh, Bate has... I wouldn't say he's struggled necessarily because he's played to a high level, but it's a lot of responsibility for a 17-year-old who turned 18 recently to control this midfield now. A lot of the more experienced midfielders alongside him have gone out on loan. And so, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, playing with drink water is going to be really helpful for him. And we know the quality that Bates got. He's on the fringes of that first team picture and in normal times where the bubbles didn't exist with the first team may have made his first team debut in a cup competition already lovely lovely player to watch some 
development ahead of him but he's going to be sort of pulling the strings for this team in the way that someone like Billy Gilmore did for the last two seasons ah uh, what a name well Billy love seeing Billy speaking of Billy shout out for the red card obviously I don't know what happened there softest I mean, it, red a too ever mouthy. I think I think that's the only way you can describe that is he clearly said something maybe gestured something and that Italian referee was having none of it so well you know Scottish to Italian uh, how well they understand each other typically so <laughs> Uh, quite tough. Dan, uh, over to you for the defense. Well, I think there's a, a few names in here. I think I would love to hear your thoughts about how Henry Lawrence is doing, but uh, Dinell Simu would be another one that I think maybe would be worth a, a few seconds of commentary too, Phil. Yeah, sure. Lawrence signed a, a new three-year contract last week, which is very promising for everybody. He's been playing right back all season, which... Um, it's interesting for a player who's moved around a lot, being able to settle down and focus on one position for even if it's just three or four months at a time is going to be really useful for figuring out what's next for him, uh, which may well be a, a loan in January. If not, then it will certainly end next season. He's as, as assured as they come. He's really growing into understanding what he can do physically on and off the ball, especially off the ball, because his ability to shield and to block players off and to know how to position himself has improved significantly over the course of this year and he's not necessarily a right back in the mould of a Liveramento or a James or a Lamptey or a Sterling in that he's going to terrorise you for 90 minutes up and down the pitch but what he will do is take advantage of any moment that you switch off because he's constantly on the move to, to, to be involved in the link-up play with the man ahead of him. He'll overlap from right centre-back in a back three and just everything he does is done efficiently and to a really high consistent standard. Simiu is more of a, a boom or bust player right now. He's got all the physical tools you want for a centre-half. He looks the part. When he's on his game, he can be unplayable. But there have been moments so far this season where he's been caught out a little bit positionally and maybe not reading the play correctly. And those physical tools allow him to make up for it in a way that a younger Kurt Zuma sort of got away with. So Zuma was lauded for some of his last-ditch slide tackles in the last couple of seasons and his athletic prowess in being able to make up a bunch of ground in the first place. Now, we know that those situations shouldn't arise for him to be doing that. Simu is a little bit of the same and... We'd be looking in the second half of the season for him to really engage and to cut those mistakes out because we know what a quality player he can be when he's at his best. I just, yeah, just going through kind of what we talked about almost beginning of the season and, and now having a small sample of matches to go on. Um, I just, I, I just feel like we're getting to know these players better because you know, this is such a weird season. Again, I, I know I'm going back to it, but like watch, you know, seeing the players have to progress through these these different circumstances. I mean, we've even seen Carlos Zeiger been on the bench with the men's the full men's team multiple times this season just because you needed people healthy and things like that. Um, so I, I think overall, kind of, what's your grade on the Dev Squad to this point? I think it's grading wise, you probably say a B minus. They, they, they obviously went unbeaten in the league last season and so suffering three defeats in the first seven games this season is a little bit disappointing obviously those defeats came with a context and they come with learning opportunities for each of them they were very very good in a 3-0 win against Arsenal they outfought Derby 3-2 at Cobham and Derby are currently top of the league and they are now preparing to take on Bristol Rovers in their last EFL Trophy group stage game. If they win that, they're into the knockout stages. So it's been more good than bad so far, but with plenty of scope for improvement. But we also have to understand that they've lost a lot of players to the loan market and are playing with a bunch of teenagers younger than they were at this point last season. Fair enough. As always, context is the most important thing in this when yeah. it comes to the dev squad. Lots of players move up and move out through the dev squad. And then also players on the fringes, the Danny Drinkwaters, the Baba Rockmans are <laughs> getting and, a and, to... and a bunch of players who are only just coming back from injury. So Sam McClellan played in that Brentford friendly and he hasn't played this season. Mm -hmm. um, Pierre Equa has spent most of the last year out injured and he's only just started to come, hit, hit the comeback trail. And Ben Elliott, who 
has been playing for the under-18s for the most part, has had a few opportunities to step up to the development squad. He spent most of these under-15 and under-16 year out injured. So coming back from two years out, he's still on that path. So you're starting to bring a few more of last year's under-18s into the development squad to broaden the pool, but to also give these players the right opportunity to come back from problems that they've experienced and to to, to show really what we remember them being able to do when they were at their fit, full, fully fit peak. Mm-hmm. Dan, it's almost as if numbers don't tell the whole story. Oh, look at that. Hmm. Look at hmm. that. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, uh, that's my campaign for the eye test, everybody. The eye test. Boom. Uh, all right. Well, hey, we're going to we're gonna take a quick break before we transition to U18s. <laughs> um, obviously, a lot to talk about with this group, a little bit more settled. Uh, some big big goal numbers out of this group so uh, we'll get to that real quick uh thanks to these sponsors financially supporting the show be right back even though sports had a break your business didn't you have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever indeed is here to help indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because indeed gets you the best people fast unlike other job sites indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the most important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. It's a lot. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Listen up, fellas, because today we have a new Manscaped product alert. That's the Manscaped just released the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. Take a look in the mirror, and I guarantee you'll see hair sticking out of those holes. It's time to keep your ear and nose hair looking as nice as your clean-shaven balls. Look, they sent us one. I have it. I actually love it. I use it. I've had other ones. They suck. This one is significantly better. Uh, than the ones I've had. So trust me, I've used it and I can endorse this Weed Whacker. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Weed Whacker. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. The premium Manscaped Weed Whacker uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Its intelligently contoured design enhances trimming experience and it is waterproof, which makes it easy operation and cleaning the only nose hair trimmer on the market with a powerful and rechargeable lithium-ion battery that lasts for up to 90 minutes of use i mean have you ever pulled out your nose hair before with your fingers it hurts and it's worse than nicking your balls manscaped is making whacking your weeds a time to look forward to delivering maximum confidence while providing hygiene yes you will get a replaceable blade every three months to keep your weed whacking time clean and enjoyable Look, fellas, 79% of partners polled admitted that those long nose hairs is a major turnoff. It's time to upgrade your Manscaped routine with the Weed Whacker, get 20% off, and free shipping with the code LONDONISBLUE at manscaped.com. Thank you, Manscaped, for keeping our pubes trimmed along with the hairs and the holes looking nice. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code LONDONISBLUE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code LONDONISBLUE blue it helps us it helps you it helps them what are you waiting for go whack your weeds all right phil over to the u18s when we last spoke chelsea played four matches only one once at that point not a great start for them we are now in fourth with four wins two draws and said loss so obviously they've turned around a little bit uh, some of these results, 8-1 versus Leicester, 4-3 against Norwich, and 5-2 against Reading. So, all out attack, no defense? I mean, what's going on with this team? Uh, okay, so the Leicester result... Context, here it comes. <laughs> there, there is definitely a context to the Leicester result. This is uh, an unfortunately young and experimental Leicester team that have also lost 8-2 and 7-1 in the last month. Um, it's, it's a combination of things that are going on there. They've had a few trialists. They've got 
some undersized players physically and they're just being bullied out of matches right now um, which is something that I'm sure that they're aware about aware of they know staff at clubs know what players they've got to work with and as much as they don't want these results to happen there's going to be an awareness that they will but Chelsea to their credit will have gone into this match knowing that they had the opportunity to win to win heavily and to make up some ground with the goal difference against the other teams that have beaten Leicester handsomely and they did so and the the three matches over the last month they've scored 17 goals in them and it's, co- it's coincided with a, a switch back to the 3-4-3 they started the season with a 4-2-3-1 player, player availability had a lot to do with that they switched to the 3-4-3 which at academy level is always uh, a little bit more overpowered than it will be at a senior level because if you've got dominant players you can just put more attacking players into the team you can play wingers at wing back you can play two centre forwards and you can simply overwhelm teams and to an extent that's what they've done in those matches so Jude Soon-Sub-Bell has scored uh, three, seven in those three games sorry no he scored nine in those three games I think I'm losing my train. Um but he's been fantastic leading the line scoring all sorts of goals so he got four against Leicester one of them was a free kick one of them was uh, a lovely solo goal one of them was uh, tucked in at the near post with his left foot he scored an overhead kick goal against Norwich he scores dirty goals like well, the second one against Reading where he's battling against a defender for a header he's clearly earned a lot of accolades so far this season so has Harvey Vale who's been scoring and providing a lot of the goals for Sunset Bell and it's those two that are leading the charge but there's been uh, a lot of players coming through behind them who are getting experience getting minutes Charlie Webster's starting to really get into a rhythm in controlling the game through midfield they're looking at Silco Thomas playing well on either flank someone like Alex Kapakpe getting experience uh, left wing back so this big 14 player intake of scholars is starting to come together starting to gel and this being the last international break of the first half of the season means that they can return next weekend and push through to Christmas they've got Aston Villa up next and Aston Villa have been the pace setters so far they, f- they fell um, off the top last weekend so Crystal Palace now lead the way but a win for Chelsea against Aston Villa takes them above Villa and then hopefully you're really in title contention by Christmas so title contention one, by Christmas. That has a nice little ring to it, Dan. If you if you put a bow on it, you know, just put a bow on that one. <laughs> wrap Place it right up into the tree. Well, I want to touch on on Jude because the man is is just rude with the way that he continues to score and mm. absolutely destroy defenses. What a bummer that is. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh. You know, Phil, is there a, a a player comp maybe for those who haven't had a chance to watch him yet in terms of what he is, what he plays like stylistically and what do you think his pathway is to potentially, you know, kind of like Brojo where he had that, you know, U18s and U23s and then ended up alone really, really quick. Is that the type of path you see for, for Jude too? There's not really a comparison that jumps off the page to me, but what he is is arguably the best all-round striker that Chelsea have had at under-18 level since Abraham and Solanke. And that's said with the recognition that he can also do things that they weren't capable of doing at the same age. Now, there's things that those two could do that Jude isn't capable of, but... Jude's more comfortable with his back to goal and using his body to his advantage than any of his predecessors in the under-18s were at a comparable age. He knows how to hold the ball up. He's comfortable coming into midfield and linking with players. He's able to occupy opposition defenders and moves around a lot more than any uh, than an Abraham or a Solanke or an Okbo or a Broja, who all fantastic players, but oftentimes were just asked to go out and score goals Chelsea will always overwhelm the majority of teams at this level and and the centre forwards will score goals so it's not necessarily that we're looking at Jude having 10 goals already and leading the league in goals we're looking at the traits that really jump off the screen to you and he's already positioning himself to earn development squad minutes now because Charlie Brown's loan to Union Saint-Gilois in in Belgium was cut short he's come back and will probably be competing with Fierbema for development squad minutes up until the January transfer window opens but assuming he goes back out and with the experiment of looking at George Nunn as a wing back 
the door will open for Sunsat Bell to get development squad minutes. And he doesn't turn 17 until January. So he's. we're talking about that squad being young. If he were to play before Christmas, he'd be playing up there at 16, which very few players tend to do. The only one who's done it this season was Harvey Vale, just before his 17th birthday. And... Well, I mean, he'll be playing, leading the line in the under-18s in the Youth Cup, and he won't be moving up fully this season, but he's on track to be playing at a higher level by this time next season for sure. Now, alone probably is a bit premature, given that he's a year and a bit away from being 18. But you have to be delighted with what you've seen from him so far. Yeah, what were you doing at 16 and three quarters, Brandon? Um Jeez, yeah, that that's super depressing. That he's exactly <laughs> half to the dig right to Brandon. I no, don't understand he, why it was Brandon specifically. He, he's exactly half our age, Dan, whereas he's um, a little less than that with you. <laughs> um, but to uh, be apparently, careful, don't yeah, say anything, guys. Yeah, Nick's yeah. Nick's I'm on it. locked Ba-bow. and loaded. Okay, um, no, it's just uh, frightening to think about how quickly these guys are kind of moving through the ranks, um, just on talent and also some need because we're. It seems like, Phil, and just kind of the pattern that we've talked about here, we Chelsea are moving players through the U18s, the U23s, loans, and then first team more rapidly than we were before. That you, It's just carving out opportunities for younger and younger players to move up, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's something that happens across the football spectrum. You look at the number of scarily young teenagers were influencing football at such a high level we mentioned Bellingham earlier he's playing for Dortmund and England as a 17 year old Gio Reyna is 17 or 18 and playing for Dortmund in the United States these players are proving themselves at ever younger ages and so if you're 14 you're playing up at under 16 level you're 15 and 16 you're playing up to the under 18s and by the time you're 17 you've already taken so many leaps ahead of you that the next step is to to push you into senior football now that's not going to be the case for everybody but for the ones who are clearly on an accelerated curve then all you can keep doing is to put fresh challenges in front of them and to see if they keep ticking the boxes or not 100 percent. yeah Uh, i mean let's transition to midfield because i I think this is one that that may have a little bit of uh, a flex to it i we we kind of denoted in our in our wonderful script here ben elliott and Deion Rankin, um, who's only played one U18 match in the league, uh, for what it's worth. Uh, Phil, what, what do you have for these two or, or any others that you, you deem worthy in conversation? Rankin uh, got his first England youth age group call-up this past week as well, which is a reward for some really hard work that he's put in over the last couple of years. He dropped back down to the 18th for that Leicester game, which seems grossly unfair given the, the final outcome. <laughs> But he's been coming off the bench to good effect for the development squad. He scored against West Ham earlier in the season. And he's another wing-back, predominantly right-sided, who can get at you with pace and speed and trickery in more of a Tarek Lamptey vein. Um, he's played on the left for in the Youth Cup final. And it was it was a really hard ask for him in that match, playing out of position against the highest calibre op- op- uh, opponents that he'll come up against. And he acquitted himself fairly well. Now, he's got work to do. But you'll see more of him in the development squad than you will in the under-18s for the rest of the season. And you might say the same about Elliot, although any opportunity to get Ben onto the pitch and playing regularly is needed because, as we said earlier, he's missed two years of football. Mm. As an under-15, he was playing for and captaining England and was as precocious a talent and a playmaker as there was perhaps in the country. He was really, really highly regarded. He was playing in the same England youth teams as Jamal Musiala, they had a, a very similar resemblance and a physical build, so you could often mistake one another in the midfield. And then he spent two years on the sidelines. So they've managed him back, and he's starting to play regularly again this season. He scored his first under-18 goal in that Leicester win and started to come off the bench and get some minutes in the development squad. So just just getting him on the pitch and playing 60, 70, 80, 90 minutes and getting him back to a position where he can be fit and comfortable and then showcase mm. his undeniable ability is really what we want to see from him. I. I think that, you know, I wanted to play in that Leicester City match. Just based on what I'm hearing today, everyone got on the, <laughs> got a goal. Everyone got minutes. Like, hey, coach, squad player, I'll take the last 10. Thank you. Um, so we won't kick them while we're down. Uh, but defensively, you've got Charlie Wiggett and Basher Humphreys that we've, that we've talked about in the past. So we want to bring those names back up and kind of get an update. 
and see where we are with with those two, and then maybe like the defense and all and and how it's settled. Yeah, they complement each other really well. Wiggett's uh, more of an old school defender. He's very vocal at this level, which has been brought up by the coaches and the academy staff as something you don't always get from young players who won't show their personalities on the pitch. Wiggett is vocal. He's a leader. He'll he's very comfortable with the ball but he's a defender's defender he'll clear he'll tackle he'll be aggressive and Humphreys is more of a an elegant ball playing defender who has also been used in a holding midfield role he's a bit biz, bigger physically knows how to hold off opponents usually he'll control the ball with one foot and arm and body on the other shield them turn out control from there they've both got more work to do in the under 18s before they really step up but that's 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 fine. Most defenders, at the very least, will spend the two years playing for the under-18s and then step up into the development squad. Their their track is a little bit slower, especially if they don't have an outstanding physical trait like Adonis Simiu or Levi Colwell, who have grown into huge adult frames as 17-year-olds. You push them up, and it means that Wigan and Humphreys get more time to develop uh, at their own rate playing for the under-18s. I only ask about the defense and hole because of the number of goals conceded. And it's something that we've seen the first team, the men's team, struggle with. The beginning of the season, you know, obviously Southampton, West Brom, um, other goals have been conceded well. And then there was a change in style. There's a change in approach to it. Um, is this a stylistic reason that they're just all out attack and kind of opening themselves up to concede? Or is it mistakes? Is it is it rotating of personnel? The the goals that came against Reading and Norwich may have had something to do with going to the three four three again, which if you're playing very attacking wing backs and very attacking central midfielders can leave you a little bit exposed on the break. Um, Norwich scored a penalty. Reading scored a, a rebound from a shot that hit the crossbar, and they also had some goalkeeping issues. So. Kelechi Chibwezi chose to leave the academy. Mm-hmm. He was replaced by Sami Klemsani, who was re- awaiting his international clearance. And Prince Adagoke has been out injured through surgery at the start of the season. So Jake Askew, who was the youth team goalkeeper last season, uh, and signed a, a 12-week extension during lockdown, played in those two matches as an overage goalkeeper. That's uh, He's been training with the academy, so that's just an extension of him playing last season. But it's... Just it's a you bring in together a few factors that might mitigate as to why they conceded those goals. I don't think it's anything to really worry about because in the matches before that they demonstrated that they were able to keep it tight and they would only conceded one against Southampton, one against Crystal Palace, one against West Ham, and they'll concede a few goals. But by the looks of it, they they are sort of saying, well, we're going to outscore you even if you do score two or three against us, and sometimes that happens. All right, I get it. I totally get it. Um. All right. Well, look, we have timed this perfectly to be able to to touch on some loans. All right, some of the, the players in the loan army. Um, our, you know, Broja had a, a pretty fantastic last twelve a months. A man. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, debuted for the for the first team under Frank. Uh, got his first senior national team call up. Uh, it just crushed the youth division, and now he's earned. Uh, the illustrious loan move to the Air Divisie with uh, with what do we call it Chelsea Chelsea abroad over there with Vitessa but, Chelsea uh, B yeah <laughs> yeah um, so Phil I, how's that going eight matches four goals seems like a pretty decent return for the young guy it is and he's been earning more and more playing time he's started the last four matches having been a substitute in his first four. And really, really continues to look at home there. He's, we we know what he can do, and what he's still learning to do. He'll run the channels with aggression and with with surprising pace for a man of his frame. He'll give you that all day long. And the, the, the moment a defender switches off, he'll uh, they'll regret it. 
he's still learning how to really play as a holding a hold up player up front he's got the frame and he's got the aggression but the, you still have to learn the technical ins and outs of it but the goals have come so he scored twice away to Ado Den Haag despite Vitesse having a man sent off in the first half there he scored against Willem Toy with a lovely opening of the body there was a cross from the left he was on the edge of the area he opened his body up and side foot volleyed it into the bottom corner it was it showed sort of a technical dexterity that he hasn't always been known for and just with every match he's either scoring goals or having an influence in a win for a team that are joint top of the Eredivisie I believe with Ajax and Vitesse haven't always had that over the years so he's not just doing well he's doing well for a team that's competitive at the top of the table is the goal with him Phil to hopefully use this opportunity um, in the Eredivisie to maybe broaden some of the technical skills or maybe to refine parts of his attacking game that that maybe he wouldn't have uh, in the championship yeah perhaps I think it's just an easier route into the adult game for somebody who we, we can see was ready for it but when this move came about in 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 the late summer it, it was like well he hasn't really played that much development squad football so it's it's an ambitious loan but the Eredivisie is a really nice step um, stepping stone between the PL2 and some of the more challenging loans whether that's the championship the Premier League France Germany wherever it's it's far less physical but it's more physical than PL2 where there's almost none sometimes so it's it's an environment for him to to learn how to get to grips with playing as uh, in senior football it's an environment for him to refine the areas of his game he needs to and with Chelsea now having Werner Abraham and Giroud all in attacking positions there's no immediate pressure for him to light it up in the Eredivisie and then come back to Chelsea we know that there needs to be a step in between that so Mason Mount excelled out there but still had to go through a year at Derby so you imagine the same sort of process is going to happen here for Broja he'll play for Vitesse for this season he'll impress and if he keeps on doing as well as he will then there'll be no shortage of suitors for him whether that's in the championship whether that's another European loan at a higher level and then we'll talk about whether he can integrate into Chelsea sometime around 2022. So another one of our lone players Ian Matson, who yeah, everyone would think was pretty excited about is maybe does he end up backing up Ben Chilwell or something of that nature if you know the calculus of Emerson and Alonso both leave which doesn't end up happening so we need to find time for Matson. where does he go he goes to Charlton he goes to the the place where Conagher Gallagher made his name before making his loan move to, to West Brom. So how has Matson gone on so far in your mind? It seems like he's had a pretty strong start to his loan spell as well. He has. Uh, with Matson, it's one of those things that a lot of people see him playing really well at the 23s level and think he can assume a first team role immediately. And that really rarely happens. As good of a player as he is, there are still some things that he needs to work out. And there was a lot of talk that you might have expected he, him to go to the Eredivisie. So we've seen Patrick van Aanholt go to on loan to Vitesse before. Uh, Juan Castillo was a young Ajax last season. Now he's at Azad Ahmed this. And a similar sort of journey may have been expected of the other Dutch left-back that Chelsea have. There was in, there was interest in him from other League One clubs, but he's gone to Charlton, which is where Jay De Silva started his Chelsea loan career. At the same level, when Charlton were in League One. And... Jay absolutely has a Premier League future ahead of him. He's currently at Bristol City, as we know. Martin's done very well so far. Lee Bowyer's been uh, praising him in the media, particularly for how he's been willing to get involved physically and to scrap and to fight in a league where you have to scrap and fight. And that's really encouraging for somebody like Mike. We know what he can do as a technician. We know what his athletic traits are. But until you get into the environment of playing with adults, playing for their livelihoods, playing for points, you don't know what the character is. You have a good idea, but it's a single swim moment for everybody who goes out there and does it. And for Boyer to call out Martson for showing those qualities and bringing them to a team that is on the rise is perhaps the most encouraging thing so far that we've seen. It's awesome. Uh, last one, because we, we got to go out on a high here, Brandon. Um, I'm looking at Mark Gahey, uh, who has been absolutely rock solid for Swansea. Uh, what's what's his deal? What's next for him? I mean, he's clearly kind of achieved what he, I think, set out to at Swansea. So what what's kind of next for him? It's it's really interesting as well because if you look at any Swansea match, if you go cursory search for his name on Twitter, 
there are Swansea fans just lining up to proclaim him the next legendary centre back, as if he's not already. He, they've lost. Uh, they sold Joe Rodon to Tottenham at the end of the window, so he's gone. And they lost Mike Van der Horn in the summer, so it's a transitional back three that he's taken more and more seniority in, despite only being 20 himself. And he's just so technically adept in possession. He drives their transitional game. He, obviously, we know he can defend. And while I'm sure the intention is to leave him there for the entirety of this season for a Swansea team that will be pushing for a playoff place, come January, it will be a year since he first went there. And we know that there was the three-month hiatus for lockdown. But if he's finding it too easy at Swansea then you might look at a Premier League loan. The problem with a Premier League loan come January is that there are fewer matches left to play. In the Championship, you may still have 20-odd matches. In the Premier League, um, depending on whether Chelsea still have to play one of the, the team he goes on loan to, you may only be looking at 10 to 12 matches. So then you have to balance out whether 10 to 12 matches at a higher level is better than double that at the Championship level. They, they made a similar decision with Conor Gallagher last season. They took him from Charlton and moved him to Swansea. So they took him from a lower half championship team to a top half. It's hard to do that when Swansea are in the top half pushing for promotion right now. I think, just given the uncertainty about football in general, they may just leave him at Swansea and say, right, can you drive this team to promotion? In the same way that Mount and Tamori tried to drive Derby to promotion and then go from there. Tamori's a decent comparison case as to how to handle Gerhi's next step. Tomori went straight into the Chelsea squad. May have gone on loan then David Lewis was sold. Tomori comes into the team. We know the story from there. Ideally, Gerhi has an intermediary step where he proves that he's very capable in Premier League football. Whether Thiago Silva has another year at Chelsea after this one or not. Whether Tomori is Silva's immediate replacement or not we know Gerhi's got the, the the quality and the pedigree to eventually play for Chelsea it doesn't have to be in the next 12 to 18 months but there's every chance that it is if he really really impresses I uh I took your advice searched Gurry on uh Twitter and you're seeing these Swansea fans just over the moon one of them was Mark Gurry emptying his pockets later and it's got the 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 Blackburn players, you know, along yep. with like keys in his wallet. And he just says, man is a walking clean sheet. Um, it's great to see. And I was immediately thinking that like, well, we took Gallagher midseason and bumped him up. And he went from, was it League One to Championship to Premier League this season, like all within 12 months. And to see him do the same thing, or at least end this season confidently ready to add depth I think is that that's what's exciting and and yeah. it's good to highlight when the loan structure works because obviously we've always heard how it doesn't work in this and that but like there are tangible first team benefits from this working so it's good to hear there are and Gallagher's going to give Lampard and Morris and the whole staff a real big decision to make next summer as well uh, Jake Livermore from West Brom was um, talking about how Connor works harder than anybody that is prepared to do all the hard work we know that he's got fantastic technical assets as well but he's come into a Premier League team and started bossing people around playing as a leader in midfield showing showcasing his personality and doing so for a team that is expected to be at the bottom end of the Premier League for most of this season if you can handle yourself over 30 games in the Premier League at that level then do, does he need an inter, does he need to play for a uh, a Wolves or a Southampton with no disrespect to either of those teams uh, seen as outside of the big six but able to push their way in does he need to play for a team of that calibre before he goes to Chelsea or does he return next year and make things even harder for a midfield that already has so much talent and has Billy Gilmore returning and Conor Gallagher potentially adding to it it's a lovely problem to have uh, and I think the one individual maybe who is also on a loan that we haven't touched about which kind of goes back to that quandary of what happens to the midfield Phil is Ruben Loftus-Cheek who's been at Fulham and has been with one of unfortunately the worst sides you know it's West Brom and Fulham Oof. are both awful in you know just every way shape and form and I think both of them individually are being tested and challenged to see what they can do to help these sides out and maybe Ruben has started a little bit slower than than Connor in that regard yeah the the Ruben's loan is 
it needs to be treated completely differently to everyone else's because this isn't a development loan. This is literally just to get him minutes and comfortable again. He's wouldn't quite say he's a proven commodity, but he's almost there. We've seen what he can bring to Chelsea and England when he's on form and, and fit. So whether Fulham are going to be terrible or not, doesn't really matter is how many minutes Ruben can get between now and May and there are people who see him on the bench for a game or see him taken off after an hour and become frustrated and say well let's recall him right now you don't recall somebody after two games at a club when they leave out that doesn't happen and it's you're also not going to put Ruben in and play him 90 90 90 90 90 straight away otherwise you're going to blow him up and have more injury problems when Chelsea send players on loan we have a full department of personnel that look after them. It's not just Claude Makélélé or Paulo Ferreira or Andre Flo. They have a medical department that looks after the loan players. They have scouting, they have analysts, they have riches that nobody else really invests into this um, process and probably for good reason because Chelsea have done it on a bigger scale than anyone else in England. But they'll be liaising with Fulham at every turn, talking about how many minutes he should be playing here, how many minutes he should be playing in this next match, what his workload looks like for the month ahead. And we don't need to panic if Ruben doesn't play a match here or if he only comes off the bench there. It's the broader next seven months or so. How many minutes is he going to get? What does he look like after that? And what's he going to look like coming back to Chelsea? All right, look, there's a lot to cover. But Phil's a man when it comes to non-first team stuff. You got to figure it out. I think uh, Dan's even trying to go off script and throw curveballs at you. Hit it out of the park. Hit it out of the park. <laughs> so, um, well, so some of us are professionals, Brandon, and others of us. Well, I like are how Brandon you Busby. like lump yourself in with ch- with Phil, as if like Nick and I aren't. So some of us. What the hell? Some of us don't update the script, so one of us reads every word on it. Yeah, you guys have been so, doing this a lot longer than me and a lot better than me. So, uh, sir, that's why we pulled you in for your expertise. So, thank you for that, as always, Phil. Uh, really appreciate what you do and what you offer. Again, uh, thechelsea.net and at Chelsea Youth on Twitter. Give them a follow. But thanks, Phil, for all your time. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to the next one. Awesome. All right, Chelsea fans, that's going to wrap us up. Give it a follow on social. Talk to us there, Patreon, Discord, whatever you want to do. Uh, But that's going to wrap us up. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.